Spirit Rock presents Sally Armstrong. So this first path factor is right view or right understanding. The word in Pali uh, for right that I'm translating as right or wise is samma. It's actually, you know, again, the Pali always seems to be connoting something that we don't quite have a good word for in English. And right and wise, you know, they're okay, but they're not great. It actually means more true or conducive to liberation, onward leading. That's more the definition of this. And so it means understanding these teachings, the, the Dhamma. Um, understanding karma and the three characteristics, understanding dependent origination and the four noble truths. And you can see that these t- it's not as though we begin and understand all that and then the path unfolds. We're constantly refining our understanding of these teachings and, and, and actually beginning more and more to live from a place of understanding them. So it's not a linear path. One of the the central ways that wise view, wise understanding is defined is understanding the Four Noble Truths. You know, the Four Noble Truths, First Noble Truth, which is often, often wrongly uh, translated as life is suffering. The Buddha never said that. The First Noble Truth just says there is suffering. You know, if you have a body and a mind, there will be suffering. But even this word, Suffering as a translation for dukkha can be a little misleading because what is being pointed to is both very deep and profound, but also the subtlest levels of discomfort. And so I've heard uh, translations like unsteady or disquieted for dukkha, which points to something. And read also this image of dukkha being like a cart that has one wheel that's a little broken, a little out of round. And every time that wheel goes over the ground, there's this little clunk, this little not-quite-rightness, and you get a little jolt. But it's not, you know, the cart's still going along, things are still trucking along, but that just that sense of not-quite-rightness. And another Zen teacher, uh, David Brazier, who's written a book called Feeling Buddha, feels that a better definition of this word dukkha is that things happen to us, that things happen to us. So it's really not even trying to define it as suffering, as that sense of anguish, but just the fact that we're sensitive, that things impact us, large and small, and and that that, that this is is the stuff of a life, is things happening. You know, the, the core shorthand of that is that bumper sticker, you know, shit happens. That's dukkha. Stuff happens. This is what it's like. And it points to how unpredictable life is, that we can never know, literally never know, for sure what's going to happen. Any moment. It's always changing, and that's a big part of our practice, is just to be with that, that nature of change, and really see it as a truth. That's the impersonal nature, that it's always changing. And each of these four truths has a practice that the Buddha asks us to take on. For the first noble truth is to understand suffering. And I again, I saw someone who took this line, understand suffering, and to say what this really means is we need to stand under 
suffering, like a waterfall. That there's really this kind of surrender that can happen when we truly understand suffering. And I know for many of you it can, have, it can have felt like that at times, this standing under this waterfall of suffering. as this sense of the fragility and the tenderness and the vulnerability of life, of our life, of everyone's life, really impacts us. It can feel like that. It can feel that challenging. But again, bringing the wisdom in that doesn't apply the second arrow, the second dot that says, why me? This shouldn't be happening. I don't like it that it's like this. It shouldn't be like this. This is a way we cause a huge amount of our suffering. Often we can be with what's actually happening on some level, but then the mind gets going on that path. Really difficult to continue opening. And the second noble truth says that the cause of suffering is tanha, grasping, desire. And it's always interesting that the Buddha didn't say ignorance and didn't say aversion. He said tanha, thirst, craving. I think one of the reasons is is because desire is so beguiling. Aversion, we can see, delusion's kind of hard to work with, but desire is so beguiling, we often don't even know that we're operating out of it. And yet, as we grow and deepen in mindfulness, again, can really see desire as an energy force, as a field even, and feel it arising. Someone was talking about, oh, I see how desire's not even so much in relationship to an object, it just is, and it's just looking to land somewhere. And we keep feeding it, of course, because there's a pleasantness in this always holding out this tantalizing sense that something is out there that's going to make it all right, make everything okay. And you see with this arising of desire, the self inevitably is there with that, I want, I need, I should have, I should get. And with the mindfulness, turning the attention to that and seeing how the whole construct can just dissolve, can just diminish. So we watch this process again and again, the arising of desire, the construction of self, feel the constriction, feel the suffering. And with that noticing, just that mindfulness, a willingness to let it go. And then see how we choose to pick it up again, because it's so pleasant. We want what it's offering. And then we feel the suffering, we let it go. We pick it up, we let it go. We learn more and more just to let it be. But it's so, you know, we do it for a reason. And it's because we have this hope, this wish for it to be so, whatever it is. I know I have, you know, this wild fantasy. Anytime we're kind of struggling here at Spirit Rock and wondering how we'll do things, especially all of these new buildings that we need, and, you know, just serving our yogis and staff and teachers in a way that supports practice and is respectful and kind. And it feels like we're often, you know, in a state of limitation, you know, that there's not enough, not enough time, not enough money, not enough resources. And I'll just have this idea go through. Wouldn't it be great if someone would give Spirit Rock $20 million, you know, and then we'd have an endowment and we'd build the buildings and we'd take care of everything. Wouldn't that be great? And it's like, oh, that feels so good to think of what, and we do this and that and then Dhamma and practice and retreats. 
And then, I, you know, reality steps in, not likely to happen. And the, it's a contraction from that expanded state. It's like, oh. And then, okay, let it go. But really, wouldn't it be good? You know, how can you argue with that? Of course it would be good. And, you know, it's suffering. It's suffering to hold that out. Yet we do it. We choose to pick it up because it's some, you know, this magical thinking. Maybe if I think about it long enough or hard enough, somehow it'll come through. But it's suffering. It's suffering. And so the wisdom comes through. It's, it's, it's not what's true. It's not what's here. Let it go let this delusion go. And then we're in the third noble truth of the relinquishment, the letting go, the ending of the suffering. The preceding program was recorded at Spirit Rock on March 3rd, 2011.